The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, you made it, everybody. It's Friday. A warm welcome to Squawbox with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. Shall I give you some headlines? So U.S. stocks see a third straight day of losses, with Wall Street eyeing its worst week since March. As the 10-year yield holds at levels not seen since 2007. The yen slips as the Bank of Japan keeps its ultra-low rates on hold, maintaining its massive stimulus program and issuing a dovish outlook that, as, yes, inflation comes in above target. What do you think? The 17th month in a row. The Bank of England narrowly votes to pause its rate hiking cycle after 14 consecutive increases, sending sterling to a six-month low, with Governor Andrew Bailing casting the final decisive vote. Negotiators from Detroit's big three automakers and union bosses remain deadlocked in talks ahead of a deadline later on today, with unions promising expanded strike action unless progress is made. And Rupert Murdoch steps down as the chair of Fox Corp and News Corp, with the 92-year-old becoming chairman emeritus as his son Lachlan takes sole charge of the Murdoch media empire. Good morning, how are you? Now, I, I, I've got a confession to make, and then one, I, I'm not a fan of succession, so I know that you're going to be on your own on that story. I, honestly, I've watched one and a half episodes. I didn't like any of the characters, so I stopped. I know that's sacrilege because succession is obsessive. So I won't be joining you in a massive debrief of Rupert Murdoch today because I right. know that you're obsessed by it. I haven't really watched succession. I've made it to about the second episode, that's but same, I have seen same. the Murdoch story play out in real time over the course of my journalism career yeah, from Australia to and, the and UK. And it's something you I know in minutiae as well. So I, I'm kind of almost leaving you to that one. I won't, I won't be arguing with you, so I'm sorry for the viewers. We won't be arguing about that one today. But, but one thing I'm unbelievably fascinated in is this market action at the moment, genuinely. And I don't know why the market fell yesterday. I know that there are lots of reasons that are being put forward of why the market fell. So we've got a brilliant de- guest in a minute, Robert Dishner joining us as well. But, 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 but like, was it the concern of what the Fed said? Was it about strikes? Was it about what's going on in D.C. and potential shutdowns and McCarthy losing control of the Republican caucus? Or did he ever have control? Or, or was it about the fact that we're all data driven as well? And I looked at that data, yes, and we'll come to the data when you've done a brilliant uh, tour of the wall. And I think the data was was telling a story that the market didn't necessarily want to hear. Well, we've got those elevated yields, don't we? We've seen over the course of this week, the short and the long end, that can typically derail the broader equity market action. But hey, this is what September promised. It was written on the ticket. It was going to be a month of volatility. Any news that came out could be bad news. We've had a series of it, haven't we, in terms of the Fed from strike action of various quarters. It's been forthcoming. So this is exactly what September promised. I'm going to take you to that market action. Let's just take a quick look at uh, the boards. You can see in the red and firmly down across the course of the trade yesterday, just adding to losses over the the course of the trading week. But of course, the Fed was pivotal the moment that the Fed was deciding on rates and giving us a sense that 2024 was not going to deliver as many rate cuts as the market had hoped for, two not four being the wash up of that Fed meeting. And as a result, we saw drops 1.8% on the Nasdaq, again, and wash up from the Fed. The Dow down 1%, not immune in trade yesterday, day earlier down about two tenths of a percent, much 
more contained in terms of the fallout. That was not the case yesterday as we reversed across the board. In terms of the losses for the trading week, down about 1.6% so far for the Dow, for the Nasdaq to the tune roughly of about 3.5%. So there has been some territory that's been given back. In terms of moving stocks, Amazon, one of the weaker ones for the Nasdaq on the Dow, it was Caterpillar, often seen as one of those big growth stocks. Now I mentioned Treasuries. This was an element of the markets that uh, investors have been watching closely. That steady march higher back above that 5% handle on the two-year as we climb to levels that we've not seen in about a decade and a half plus. 5.13 on that, that level and we also lent firmer too on that 10-year yield. 4.5% is what we're watching on that level as we see an escalation too in that yield. In terms of what we've got elsewhere across the board, those US tech names, in terms of territory that's been seeded this week, there's been a ton of else. Looking at the FANG stocks, down 5% for the trading week so far. That is significant territory. In session, uh, some of these names also shedding a fair amount of ground from Amazon, down 4.4%. You can see why it was a weight on the downside to the major indices. NVIDIA falling, Alphabet down 2 2.4% Tesla, the momentum name, certainly losing some of its steam as well. The U.S. banks, not uh, much different to the tech names. You think that mainly it'd be a cost of capital, future growth equation around some of those major tech names as we weigh up the monetary policy story. But banking stocks also down heavily for the trading week, 4.7% down as we tell it up and add uh, to the equation losses from yesterday. Morgan's Daly down the most in that session, about 2.6% and losses for Goldman's almost 2% as well. The VIX, well, no surprise that we've got a slightly more elevated level here in the teens still, but getting closer to that uh, level, as you can see, uh, 17 and a half, so closing the gap towards that 20 mark. So we've certainly been more elevated than the lulls that we've had over the months of what, June, July, and even in the early parts of this month as we rolled on from August. The dollar trade, this is how we are trading. It's been a dollar is king story, and that remains the case. Huge slippage taking place in sterling dollar over the course of the last couple of months, and yesterday as well, 123 we gave up, 122 the handle. But keep in mind, we were 131 at one point over the month of July. So in terms of the slide, it's decent, and we had that decision yesterday not to raise interest rates from the Bank of England as they took into account the surprise drop that we saw in the inflation numbers earlier this week. Dollar yen, it was a big one for a lot of market movers and it may still be at this point. We're waiting it out for uh, Bank of Japan commentary that is coming up shortly, but uh, maintaining super low interest rates Yield curve control policy was left unchanged, but again signalling here that there's no race to the exit to phase out to the monetary policy stimulus. The market's still looking for some movement here, and perhaps you're not seeing too much on the dollar ascent, as you may have seen with other central banks because traders are wary of central bank and uh, monetary policy intervention by authorities. In terms of what we've got on WTI and Brent, the commodities trade, it is stronger. We're closing in on the 94 handle on Brent this morning, above 90 on WTI. The Asian markets, uh, in contrast to that red ink on Wall Street, it may look similar, as you can see, across on some of these markets that do pick up on that Wall Street indication from Australia to Japan. You're seeing patches of red, but it is only modestly downbeat. The other major markets uh, separating their trade today from the U.S. action, 1% higher for Hong Kong stocks. And we've also seen a stretch higher for that uh, Chinese stock market for the Shanghai Composite, Steve. Uh, I've been uh, doing a little bit of a crib, actually. I've been chatting to our next guest a lot about these markets. He's got some brilliant comments. Um, let's go through some of the data first. Um, and the reason why I really, really wanted to get this data off our chest early in the show is because we're all data-driven, remember? Don't forget, we're all data-driven. So look, look at this. U.S. weekly jobless claims fell. Fell, yeah, 
that wasn't in the script, they fell 20,000 to an eight-month low of 201,000. Now, the latest reading was below the economist's estimates of 225,000, suggesting continued labor market tightness. I mean, yeah, we, we can argue about where there is tightness and where there's weakness, but that figure suggested tightness. Elsewhere, the U.S. existing home sales unexpectedly fell 0.7% in August as mortgage interest rates continued to rise. But, but, but I don't think they fell because of the mortgage rates. They didn't fall because the National Association of, uh, of Mortgage um, Brokers thinks it's the uh, rate is now 7.31. They fell because, because there's less activity. People just don't want to sell and there's, there's just not enough homes for, uh, for the amount of demand out there as well. And they're not being built enough because obviously the builders are concerned about what's going on. Anyway, the reading marks, again, a seven-month low. It's the latest negative data reading for the sector after housing starts dropped to their lowest level since mid-2020 in August. Home builder confidence slid to a five-month low. I mean, there's just so much to unpack just in that one bit of data. But um, what about the Japanese, though? Well, the Bank of Japan has maintained its approach here, and this is key for markets. What was it going to do today? But it maintained its ultra-loose monetary policy. With short-term interest rates held at a negative 0.1% and a plus or minus 0.5% range on the 10-year JGB, traders will be closely following Governor Ueda's press conference in the next hour for signs on the bank's future path. With the Reuters poll before today's decision showing most economists expect an end to negative rates next year. Bank of England MPC members voted 5-4 to four to keep rates on hold, pausing its rate hiking cycle for the first time since December 2021, a day after UK inflation data came in softer than expected. Policymakers said they are beginning to see signs of rate impacts on the labour market and broader economy. Investors paired back bets on future hikes in the wake of the decision, with futures suggesting a 50% chance of rates rising another 25 basis points by the end of the year. Robert Dishner joins us now, Senior Portfolio Manager, Multi-Asset Fixed Income Team at Newberger Berman. Robert, thank you very much for joining us. Happy to be here. We are still waiting for a little bit more evidence from the Bank of Japan today, and this press conference is coming up, so still room for you waited to signal something. But you expected not much. What could be market moving in your view? You know, if Governor Weta indicates that there may be a move by year end, there's still two more meetings uh, yet to happen this year. And his remarks, um, obviously, in the last meeting spurred um, some changes um, to the expectations for, for Japan. And while nothing was expected for this, there is, we are expecting some hints that whether it is in the last two meetings of the year or to start the year, that we will get moved from Bank of Japan. Um, the inflation numbers this morning printed above. Bank of Japan um, target for the, I think it's the 17th or the 18th month in a row um, before the meeting. So at this point in time, you know, we are seeing evidence that, you know, the Bank of Japan may be the holdout in terms of uh, of rate moves here at this point in time. Yeah, indeed, uh, 17th straight month as we saw the data this morning and uh, we saw those core uh, prices rise, what, 3.1% in August from a year ago. In terms of how you navigate the Japanese story, you could see a little bit of action on the boards this morning that dollar wanted to break up, but everybody's cautious of intervention at this point, but also still some jawboning from the central bank about what comes next. So how do you navigate what could be a fairly disruptive moment for markets? No, that's a great point. I mean, it's, it's staying nimble. We were talking about it a little bit earlier. You know, these markets are, you know, people are sort of unused to volatile markets. You know, we had a decade of ultra-low volatility, and now we're going back to what we would consider more normal markets, right? We're going to a more normal state of volatility in markets. And, you know, we'll see what Governor Weta says. And, again, I think um, if he's on the dovish side, you know, that 150 mega challenge for dollar yen, that may prompt some intervention. We've seen, um, you know, soft intervention, for example, by, Japan, uh, by uh, China 
in some of their currency over the past couple uh, weeks. So we'll, we'll have to sort of see what happens. And it calls for being more nimble in markets um, and not being wedded to, to, you know, in some of those views, um, long-term views, other than the fact that look, rates are likely going higher in Japan, not, oh, not lower. So many questions for you. Bro. I mean, not least the fact that maybe it's the old guys and older traders, the male and female in the office who are getting up how did you do this in the 90s, guys? What did, what did you do last time we had this stuff? Because there is a whole generation of traders who have never seen this. And I'm not being patronising to the younger traders. They just haven't seen it. So that, that, that goes without saying. You, I think you just said something about, oh, the, the, the Japanese are waiting for evidence. One of you just said that. It's like, how much evidence do they need? Hang on a second. It's 17 consecutive months that they've been beating 2% on the inflation. Now, I know they're worried about deflation for all the obvious reasons of the fact that it's blighted, again, a whole generation plus as well. But there's nothing ambiguous about their policy at the moment. It is ultra loose, even if they can slightly widen the YCC bands and what have you. Whereas the data says 2% minimum is an attainable target. Bearing in mind we're hitting over 3% as well. So what are the, are the, are the Japanese building up a major problem here potentially? You know, the, the potential is they are. And the other thing that of note is we didn't touch on energy prices. And energy prices are up again this morning. And Japan imports energy. Yeah. So that's going influ- to influence inflation expectations in Japan as well as potentially wages in Japan. Um, so... You know, the more they, they sort of hold out, the, the bigger the problem becomes. Is there an obvious trade for JGBs at the moment? It, it's tough to say because on a hedge basis, JGB yields are quite attractive to foreigners. And, and, and vice versa, domestic yields are attractive for domestics uh, because, you know, foreign bonds are not hedged. So it's really, most of the action's really been seen in the, the equity markets in Japan. So when you say on a hedge basis, you mean take out the currency risk? Correct. Saying, yeah, yeah. Because obviously, I know we're going back to 101 here, but yeah. if you buy your JGBs because you're getting a slightly elevated yield, but then you have a big loss because the yen slips to 150 right. plus, then you've got a major problem. Right. But on a hedge basis, long end Japan yields 6 to 7% in dollars. So, you know, that's, that's the, yeah. then you think about the inverse for domestic investors. And so that's the, that's, the, that's the rub, right? Because Japan yields should go higher, and we really think that the belly, you know, the 10-year point, which is the point of the yield curve control, mm. is really what's at most risk, a bit more than the long-end rates. Got it. Yeah, it's been pinned for a while, hasn't it? Let's get to gilts, because yesterday was an interesting day, wasn't it? The Bank of England not hiking, really picking up on the dynamic inflation data we had earlier in the week. What do you do with gilts from here? You know, gilts are interesting right now. You know, um, it's, you know, whether they hiked or not last meeting, we sort of thought that was going to be the last one by the Bank of England. And, and you're still convinced they've yes, done that? Yeah. Um, whether it's growth or inflation or other things, it's likely the Bank of England's done. Any more hikes from here would likely be more fine-tuning. We obviously saw the negative growth numbers in July. We're likely to see some probably poor numbers in August and September. Um, the employment situation is looking a bit worse. So, you know, from the Bank of England perspective, but it's tough. Because you go to the front end, you know, it's a little bit of we call a head in the alligator's mouth trick, right? Do you, um, you know, <laughs> exactly. So, or do you do, you know, 10s or you do 30s, and, you know, but the, as we've seen, curves are steepening out, particularly yesterday in the U.S. So it's a really trick. So really, we think about gilts as, you know, you take a little bit across the curve um, as opposed to saying, okay, we really like a certain point on the curve just because there is so much uncertainty, you know, left in this market. <laughs> Just to that point, the higher for longer story, which we keep talking about through the lens of the United States, in particular around central bank action, what happens here in the UK? Because even though we're not hiking, 
there could be um, rationale for the central bank here to keep rates higher for longer as well. So there's catch up across the economy for those who are still on fixed rates that haven't really seen much change in terms of their own credit conditions. Is there an argument for that? And what sort of time frame are we thinking about before there's a rate cut? Um, you know, that's a really good question. You know, inflation is still way too high in most uh, developed economies. And so they're going to have to keep this high for, for longer than people think, even at the expense of some employment. So, you know, you know, rate cuts next summer, maybe, but we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it's, it's really going to depend on the data. And as you said, when is that catch up from people who come off fixed rates to the new higher level of rates? And that's where it's really going to start biting. Do you know one of my favorite baiting games over the last decade or so is to talk to an FI guy about equities. And they'll, I do fixed income. I so, but you're not like that, Robert. So that's just fine. So equities yesterday fell aggressively. Uh, and I asked the question earlier on, what were they worried about? Because I'm genuinely thinking, is it DC? Is it Detroit? Is it Wall Street? You know, there's a lot of things one could say that they have problems with. Why do you think that our equity friends are, are so concerned this week? Well, I think it's a few things, one of which is the energy story, right? That energy will take away from spending, consumer spending across. It'll, it'll hurt margins at corporates. I mean, we're already seeing some Look at some of the profit warnings we got from the airlines, right? Labor, energy, et cetera. So are, they, are we hitting that point on the elasticity curve where they can't really raise prices as much? So it comes out of margins. So I think you're seeing that. And the simplest answer, and I don't mean to be glib, is you know, U.S. long-end rates were up 12 basis points yesterday or so. Yeah. You know, when you do the old discount, dividend discount model, yeah. you know, that last cash flow looks a lot smaller at, you know, Four and a half percent tens, then, then, then. Which is why we almost showed the Nasdaq falling three and a half percent lot this week so far. Just, just to your point, the consumer discretionary sector is down five and a half percent this week. It's been the worst performer out there on the U.S. markets. Stock, isn't it? Isn't it one stock? That's, isn't that in the other basket, the communication think, services? Well, I think it's. Do you think it's a consumer discretionary? Oh, we can have that one. Mm. We, can, we can take that route. But, but to your point, though, Darden Restaurants was down yesterday as well, on, with a bit of a warning on the high-end consumer. Yeah. Um, we've got to leave it there. Um, lovely to see you. Um, and thank you very much, Steve, for coming in early. And you were really early in the green room as well, so uh, it's lovely to see you. Yeah, Normally they're racing around because our car company is so inept. <laughs> <but> <laughs> they're not watching. Uh, Robert Dish, lovely to see you, sir. Thank you very much indeed. Robert Dish, the Senior Portfolio Manager, Multi-Asset Fixed Income Team at Neuberger Behrman. You've been looking it up, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> and? I haven't found it yet. Give me, give me longer. Wait. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know I'm right. <laughs> uh, right-wing Republicans, we'll do it after. Right-wing Republicans blocked their own defence spending bill for the second time in three days in the US House of Representatives, upping the chances of a US government shutdown this month. The House must pass a short-term uh, CR, continuing resolution, or fully a funding bill next week if it wants to avoid a shutdown. Have you had a look? Oh, you I bet you found it. I bet you found it. You're just delaying it to the break and hope I forget. I will find it in the break. Coming up on the show, Turkey joins a swath, a swath or a swathe. I never know. I'm going to go for swathe of central banks hiking their base rates. But this isn't a 25 pip move. Uh, it's a tad more. I mean, really, really a lot more. Uh, we'll go through the numbers with Dan after this break. Meanwhile, a high fashion, high stakes, probably high heels. Uh, Gucci's new creative director prepares for the first official show with uh, the brand in a key test for parent company caring. Uh, and we have breaking news, I'm afraid, which we have to get to before the break. Karen, you have breaking news? That's right. <laughs> it's Amazon, it's Tesla, it's Home Depot. Don't worry, we've got another two hours and 40 minutes of this show to get your own back. We'll be back after a short break.
ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. all weaker across Europe this morning as we get set up for trade. Now, elsewhere, Turkey's central bank has delivered another monster rate hike, moving by 500 basis points, that's right, 500 basis points, and lifting its key interest rate to 30%. Let's get out to Dan for more. Dan, we were talking about uh, the central bank trying to uh, flag to the market that is independent at this point. 500 basis points, that's huge. A huge rate hike here, Karen, and we now see the rate at 30%, as you say. That is the highest interest rate we've seen in Turkey since 2003. And indeed, the fourth rate hike that we've seen from Turkey's central bank governor, Hafiz Gay Erkan, perhaps cementing some more independence over this institution after years of ergonomics. One of the interesting things to point out for you, though, is the reaction that we've seen in the lira. It's on your screen right now. The lira fell quite significantly after this decision, and that's because, yes, this hike was on consensus, and yes, it was big, but some have suggested that the central bank really needs to do more here, that perhaps this rate hike should have been bigger, given the fact that inflation is now tracking at around 60%. A few other key points, though. Governor Erkan saying that in making this decision, the central bank aims to continue monetary policy tightening here in order to establish disinflation as soon as possible, to anchor inflation expectations and to control the deterioration in pricing behaviour. As I said, we have seen inflation coming down in Turkey now at around 60%. It was down from 80% in June, but the target rate in Turkey is 5%. So clearly a lot more work to be done in order to get this under control. However, the reaction that we've been gauging over the last few hours in response to this has been quite positive. I spoke with Arda Tunka on Capital Connection only a short time ago. He said it really signals perhaps further encouraging momentum that policymakers are attuned to the inflation risk in Turkey and recognise that it must be addressed. But of course, to your point, Karen, still many, many questions about whether or not Erkan is acting independently. Many questions about whether or not Erdogan is actually signing off on these interest rate increases. And quite importantly, um, we will see another important local election coming up in the first quarter of 2024 in Turkey. And there has been some suggestion that while interest rates are going up now, Erdogan might be perhaps reserving the right to cut interest rates later if it would suit him politically, domestically. So watch this space. But otherwise, it would appear the central bank in in Turkey is back to perhaps more traditional monetary policy settings here, raising rates by a bumper 500 basis points now. 
at 30%. It's back over to you. Super coverage, Dan. I'm, I would ask you a question, but unfortunately, I ran over on the last segment. All my fault. So we'll catch up late, uh, a little bit later on for a bit more comment. Thank you. Uh, elsewhere, Sweden's Riksbank hiked its key policy rate by 25 basis points in line with expectations and said more tightening could be needed in the future. I mean, that's uh, it's, uh, there's a lot going on up in Stockholm at the moment, but it also announced it will hold eight meetings per year from uh, 2024, up from the current five. I think we broke that yesterday. Uh, but what we didn't break is, is the fact that we had a great interview with the central bank governor, Eric Theoden. Uh, Jumana conducted that interview and uh, just asked what he's looking at when he's considering further rate hikes. The inflation outcomes are important and we are pointing at the service inflation and we, 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 we discussed a lot the kind of the, the latest numbers and if you take the, let's say the last three months and you make that up to a 12 month rate they are still running slightly uh, below 5% so we need to see them come down uh, and we also of course uh, need to evaluate both the value of the krona if it were to weaken more that is, that is an issue but also if the feed through from the, the already low krona will materialize. That that are, are things that we'll look at. But not only the inflation data, it's also, of course, the kind of general perception of the activity in the overall market, where we, uh, overall economy, where we now see uh, indication that it will be uh, weakening uh, in, in, the, in the next uh, half year or so. But of course, that will also be, be uh, things to, to watch uh, carefully. Meanwhile, Moody's has put two Chinese investment-grade developers on review for a downgrade. China Jinmao Holdings Group and China Vanka are the latest facing action after the ratings agency cut its outlook on the sector to negative last week. It took a while getting around to negative. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but... Yeah, there's been a few things happening in the last two years, but they finally got round to an outlook which is negative. Uh, in addition, Moody's cut its outlook on seven more Chinese, Chinese real estate firms to negative. Again, dare I say, it, maybe there's a timing issue there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.